Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Lord, as I speak from my heart today and bring your word, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, we haven't heard from all the liturgy recently. So up to this point, we're now at a place where Jesus has been out talking to crowds and teaching for about three years now. In all of this time, it's been pretty busy. Um, Jesus has been in his hometown, Nazareth, where he was basically tossed out, told he wasn't a preacher, he should not be talking in the synagogues. He was pushed away from the crowds. His disciples, he's decided, he needs to send them out also to preach God's word and to preach about new life and to deal with evil and to cast out devils. He gives them instructions along the way in this story and tells them that nothing should stop them. If they're not received, they should wipe the dust off their feet and go on about their business. So this has been kind of crazy up to this point. The pace has been nuts for everybody, kind of like our lives. Um, they've been off ministering. Demons have been cast out. The sick have been healed. The message of new life has been being preached. Hope has been springing everywhere. And everybody's been listening. Meanwhile, the disciples, they've been out doing their work, doing the same thing. They've been teaching, they've been preaching, they've been healing the sick. They've been talking about this new life, this new kingdom that God has planned for all of us. They've been gone several weeks, and Jesus calls them to kind of come back in and kind of rendezvous with him. And while this frantic pace has been going on, they're really exhausted. The disciples are tired, but they're excited too. So when they meet up with Jesus, they share all that they've done with him. They're excited, they're overwhelmed, they're exhausted. I just sit and I imagine the conversations that are going on in this verse in Mark, okay? So the disciples are standing there and they're saying, wow, you wouldn't believe it, Jesus. When we were in Cana, there was a man who couldn't walk. They brought him to us, and just like you said, you said that it would happen, that if we believed in what our foundation was, in you and in God, we could heal the sick. And we did. He got up and he walked away. It was a miracle. And then another disciple pipes up, and he turns around and he says, man, Jesus, you couldn't believe it. It was amazing. All these people kept coming, and this one man, he came, and man, he was just so encumbered by sin and could not move forward. And we just cast that demon out, prayed over him, and he was great. But then somebody else sprouts up and says, yeah, but then we went to another city, and just like you said, it would happen. 
They didn't want us there. They told us that we were full of it. We had no right to be preaching in the temple. So they sent us on, their, on our way. So we just picked up and we walked away. So they're getting all excited about this. But while Jesus is there listening, he also realizes their exhaustion. So what does he say to them? He looks at them and he says, while he's listening to them intently, he says, come away to a desert place by yourself and rest a while. He doesn't tell them, stop telling your stories. Doesn't tell them to stop ministering. He tells them, just come on, come on, come with me. Let's go away for a little while. We need to take a rest. So the idea is to take time to rest and renew, to stop, to find a slower pace and to rest. They're invited to not end their work, just to slow down for a moment and to rest. So off they go. But as we just heard in the story, they don't get a minute to rest. They're in the boat. They decide to kind of shimmy on up the side of the lake. They come to where they think is their deserted place. And what meets them? An entire crowd and gaggle of people. So I ask you, does this sound familiar to you? It does to me. Really sounds familiar to me. So I'm going about my business. We've got chores to be done, lawns to be mowed, meetings to go to, houses that need to be cleaned, children that have to be run to activities. There's shopping, there's justice marches, there's festivals, there's meetings, there's relatives to visit, there's life, there's friends, there's special projects at work that we have to work on. And again, did I mention the meetings? They keep going. They never ending. The list kind of goes on and on and on. All this activity is crying out to us, and it never stops. But in the middle of it all, the point that Jesus is making, and his concern here is, do we stop to think? Do we stop to meditate? Do we stop to ponder, to wonder, and to pay attention to what God is saying? To just be with Jesus, to rest, to come away to a deserted place all by ourselves, and rest a while. Rest. What a simple, beautiful four-letter word. Yep, it's a four-letter word, because it is both a blessing and a curse. It's no small point that I noticed that while Jesus was listening and heard all that they had experienced and shared, the success of the disciples' ministry isn't measured by simply how much they can accomplish. It's the same for us. It's not about how much we accomplish in this world. It's about where our source is, our relationship with Jesus. Are we connected to that rock? Do we take time to rest in Christ? It's about returning to that spring, that spring of water that Christ alone can provide. Ephesians reminds us that in him, in him, in Jesus, the whole structure of this kingdom is joined together. We grow up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So we're a dwelling place. Our strength is in Jesus, 
and returning to rest with him regularly is the point. The reality is that we know we've got to return to the source to renew our energy and our passion for life. It's so important, but how do we get there? How do we spend that quality time when so many things are pulling us to and fro, much like they were pulling Jesus and the disciples? So let's take a look at what a deserted place looks like. I'm gonna give you an explanation of a deserted place that's a desert. Yours might be a forest or the woods or a running track. But in this deserted place, there are no distractions. In the desert, you can regain a sense of ourselves. There's no noise, just the noise of our own hearts and the wind around us. No presence besides our presence and our shadow sides. There's no company besides the plants and the animals around us. There's complete peace. We're reacquainted with the tranquility of being in the presence of Christ. Remember, Jesus slept through the storm. He even asked his disciples, why did you wake me? There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no fear in this place either. In the desert, the one who loves us beyond measure is the center of our peace and the center of the place. Jesus comes to help us through our fear and to remove it. In this quiet place, we hear the words that we speak, we hear the silence that we produce, we attend to the movements of our body, of our soul, of our spirit. We leave behind our cell phones, and yes, I have to be honest, mine's not up here, so I'm not timing myself, so somebody else better be. Um, <laughs> we leave behind our rushed lives. We put all that aside for the moment. What's the example we see? What does Jesus do over and over and over again? He breaks away, he goes into this deserted place to be alone with his father and pray. While Jesus is praying, throughout his ministry, there's lots of different examples that we see. First, he's praying in the desert and he's transfigured. He's transfigured at his baptism. He prays and he heals people. He prays when he's happy, he prays when he's in the garden, he prays when he's betrayed. Jesus prays even as he's dying on the cross. His disciples see him praying often enough that they ask him how they should pray. So Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. We'll say that in a little while. The point is that Jesus takes the time to pray and stay connected to his power source, to God. We need to do the same. When we look at the desert this way as a place to pray, it's a door. It's kind of like those revolving doors in the city. So if you've been to the city, you know there are revolving doors that let you into hotels, into stores, into restaurants, everywhere. We've got a couple of them here in Charlottesville. Now, most of the time when you go into a revolving door, you go in the door, you walk around, and you go out the opposite side. Unless, of course, you're like me, and I'm short, so I get stuck in this never-ending revolving thing because it's always going too fast, and I can't get out. And, well, anyway, it's just the way it is. In the greatest sense, though, the point of this is that we exit. We go in in one place, we exit out in another. The sense is 
that it's not a destination. This deserted place isn't a destination. It's not a place we're meant to stay in forever. It's a place where we get rejuvenated and then we return to kingdom work. Currently, our world is in dire straits. We need constant movement in and out of this deserted place with Jesus and spiritual practices of prayer if we're going to stay important and remain on topic for all the work that's to be done. The practices are important because our present and our work as Christians in the world are fundamental to the kingdom coming on earth. We talk about it, we teach about it, but we have to live it out. So let's go back to our story for a second. They land on the other side, and once again, like we said, they're assaulted by crowds everywhere. So what happens? They've walked around the lake, these people, this crowd. They want to see Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at a picture of the Sea of Galilee, but it's huge. So if they're leaving a local town and walking through this kind of mountainous range, it's a long uphill climb to get around to see Jesus. And what does he do? He's exhausted, he's tired, his disciples are tired, and instead of saying, you know what, no, just send them away, Jesus stops, and he looks at them, and he says he has compassion on them. He sees them as sheep. Sheep. When we think about sheep, we don't think about this beautiful animal. Sheep tend to be kind of silly. They tend to be a little dumb. They're not the smartest things around. But we get this picture of Jesus as a shepherd. All through the Bible, we hear about shepherds. So Jesus is tired and exhausted. His disciples are exhausted. But he's overcome by mercy and compassion for this group of people. And he begins to teach them. He doesn't preach at them. He doesn't talk at them. He just sits down and he teaches them. He has compassion for them. I kind of love what Wendell Berry says about this group of people following Jesus around. He calls them the first church. Wendell Berry says it like this. The real first church was the gaggle of people who followed Jesus around. We don't know anything about them, but he apparently didn't ask them what creed they subscribed to or what their sexual preference was or any of that. He fed them. He healed them. He forgave them. He is clear about sin but he also shows forgiveness. This kind of describes the crowd currently following Jesus around really well. They're lost, they're weary, they're desperate. Some may have been John's followers. We know that earlier we're given the story in Mark of John's beheading. So they're scared, they're seeking solace. They're looking to Jesus to comfort them. All we have to do is rock around the downtown mall to see all those who are sick and homeless and poor. We see immigrants who come to other from other countries. They live in our, in our neighborhoods. They work alongside us in our places of business. They attend our schools with their children and our grandchildren. And just as Jesus had compassion on those people who were following him around, we're asked to attend to the needs of the people in our communities. 
we should be welcoming them into our homes, welcoming them into our churches. We talk about how do we provide shelter, how to be present, how to undo policies of hatred and debunk feelings of xenophobia, fear, and anger. But none of this work is possible, friends. None of it's possible if we're not coming and going in and out of the presence of Jesus daily. We need access to our power source just as much as Jesus needed access to his power source. The healings and the compassion that Jesus performs after the second sea crossing in today's text point to how the kingdom of God topples the economy of our world. When Jesus and his apostles land, the people rush in on him. The whole region is bringing their sick to him. And whenever, wherever he went into the villages or the cities or the farms, they lead the sick in the marketplaces, and all who touched the fringe of Jesus' cloak were healed. So the world tr word translated marketplace is agora. It refers to a public space. And in this public space, they're offering hearings, elections, discussions, all sorts of things took place, in addition to buying and selling goods. It's not like our current marketplaces. Thus, the marketplace was kind of a commercial and governmental center, kind of a hub of a city at that time. By healing the sick, the most vulnerable people in this community, Jesus is subverting the economy of this world. He's bringing the very inauguration of God's kingdom economy into the world around us. While the marketplace of the world belongs to the rich and the powerful, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is showing us that the most political and commercial places and spaces are occupied by those with the least. In the age to come, Jesus proclaims, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That period of our world is breaking forth now. As Christ's followers seeking to live out God's kingdom here and now, we are called to follow Jesus' example. Our task is to be attentive to all of this crying for our attention that's going on, all the demanding of care, and to be compassionate to our own families, to the people and the persons in our communities, to the poor, to the families who are seeking asylum, who have been separated, to brothers and sisters, to people from far off lands. As a people of God, we're called to discern the spirits of the time and see whether the Spirit of God lives and what the Spirit is asking us to do now. In the same way Jesus threw away and then had compassion for his people that were gathering around him, Jesus is asking us to pause, to pay attention to our hearts, to our movements, to how we're living our lives. With a strong spiritual life, oriented by daily practices of prayer and meditation, of rest and silence, we can do all the work that we need to do, as long as we remain connected. Likewise, we can't be only spiritual and be involved in discipleship. A heart without action is ineffective. Without Jesus, it's empty. Jesus is inviting us to rest, 
We're back to that four-letter word again. When calling us to compassionate hearts, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly before our God, we have to remain tied to the source. It's not a lot of time. It doesn't have to be hours a day. It can be a mere five minutes to just close your eyes and reconnect. But there has to be that connection. Without connection, we don't have power. Everything we have, power-wise, comes from God. We have to make that connection. So the challenge today is to rest. And in that rest, to find compassion together, to work for justice in our community, to work for that kingdom come, to offer us the strength we need to meet the challenges that we face today, to truly change our world, and to see the kingdom come on earth. Bow your heads with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.